Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Denise. This is the Dr. Denise Show, the Rocking a Betrayal series, spring season, season three. And I'm really excited about the guest today, calling her the mystery attorney. I'm going to give you a little bit of my way I um, found her, and then she'll give a little bit of background on what she does. So I feel very fortunate that I found her in my own Rocking a Betrayal, and she's part of my team, and in a way that's just guidance, helping some guidance with the judgment I've won, but also really has educated me on all the different rules, all the different ways that people can have fraud happen, what to look for. And I've been on some meetings with her and seeing how she works with introductions and lays out strategy. So I thought it'd be really nice to hear from an attorney's perspective. And the reason why I'm keeping her a mystery is because you know what? If you want to, um, after you hear what our show's about, reach out to her, you can contact me and get the information. So thank you so much, um, mystery attorney. I don't know if we want to... (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell everyone a little bit about what type of law you practice and your areas of expertise? Sure, Denise. Uh, Thank you so much for letting me be on your show. I'm so excited to be here and being interviewed by you. It's such a treat. Um, So I have been practicing law for about 30 years. It's been going by like a flash. And uh, I have dealt with a a variety of different types of law. Um, Mainly right now, I practice business litigation, concentrating on commercial litigation, breach of contract, uh, collections, uh, commercial collections, and enforcement of judgments. Um, I've done bankruptcy. I've done a little bit of family law. I've done uh, different types of uh, workers' comp defense work. And uh I used to do, when I first started out, I uh, did some criminal work, and um, but it wasn't my cup of tea, and I transferred over to civil, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, and in my uh, various years, I've seen a lot of different types of fraud that happens. Uh, it could be, you know, fraud that happens between individuals um, in relationships. Uh, I've seen fraud, business fraud, and people getting taken advantage of in all different types of capacities. And uh, unfortunately, you cannot uh, agree with a handshake anymore. Well, that's good news. So (laughs) actually, you know what? I feel like we're going to actually maybe dive into almost like the ABCs or the bread and butter tips and tools about business communication, contract, and what to do to protect yourself. And then maybe we can dive into some specific examples. Does that sound like a good approach to our conversation? And by the way, I am incredibly grateful to you and the time that you've given me and the way I met you intuitively. And also I feel really good about keeping you the mystery attorney because I think sometimes when you are building up your own team of help in legal and law, it's okay to get 
referrals by word of mouth. So after you hear this interview, you can contact me. I'll give you my information if you want to talk with this lovely mystery attorney. And actually, I think word of mouth is the best way to go. Sometimes you don't have the opportunity to do word of mouth. But with word of mouth, you get somebody else's um, range of possible experience using that person. Or uh, maybe they've interacted with that person. So you're not going in blindly. Yes. Yes. So that's the other reason why it's an honor to have you on the show because I've seen you from a strategy standpoint and explain different levels of complex legal things in collecting a judgment. So maybe we can go to the kind of the ABCs of what's foundationally a good idea when you just kind of teased us with the, a handshake does not work anymore. (laughs) Like, Like all the things people wish they would have done so they can stay out of your office, but then maybe we can kind of do some deep dives on some business examples and go from there. Okay. All right. Well, I guess the first thing you need to start with is if we're focusing on business um, and you're entering into a transaction with somebody, no matter who it is, it could be your best friend. It could be somebody you've known for years or somebody who you were recently introduced to, or it could even be a family member. You really want to make sure that everything is spelled out in a written agreement. So many times people assume that the other person is, or the other entity, because it could be a business, is going to do something, um, but it's not always the case. And uh, because people have different assumptions of what their responsibilities are and what they're going to get out of it. So it's really important to be precise. Yes, and define what the scope of your relationship and your interaction is going to be and what everybody's responsibilities are. Um, so often people miss that or they don't put it in writing. They might even put in a text, but it, and then things go awry and it's hard to enforce. Um, so I think it, uh, at the very beginning, make sure you put it in writing. If you have, depending on the amount in question and what you're dealing with, you might want to get an attorney involved. Um, Each side should have their own attorney. And even before you go into business with somebody, even if you know who they are and have known them for years, you might want to do a little bit of investigation about their background um, before you go into an agreement with them, uh, a business with them. I have a story that's a positive one about that piece of advice. So after I went through my fraud and won my judgment, I didn't want to stop my vision of reaching more people in the world. And I did, the only thing I didn't do is I didn't do the background check right away, but it wasn't a business contract yet. We were supposed to do a presentation at NBA Summer League, and this was a a producer in the film industry. And I ended up doing the background check 
before we did filming. And also when I started to see where their words, thoughts, and actions weren't matching up because Mm -hmm. we were supposed to get a contract allegedly from the NBA. And there was a lot of smoke and mirrors of what she was talking about. And then at one point I did my own digging, you know, luckily we're also living in an age where we can go online and see if anyone else is sort of raised the red flag about someone. So you can report exactly. to different bureaus. And so I did end up doing a background check on this individual. And <clears throat> I'm not even going to say the details of the background check, but it was pretty, very concerning, like beyond red flag concerning. And I just sent them my own background check to them and said, I mm-hmm. don't want to ever work with you. Your word slots and actions are not matching up. And then I passed it on and I feel like I really dodged another sociopath. So I I feel like, unfortunately, Britt, the new norm has been people's words, thoughts, and actions, maybe not matching up as we would have hoped. Right. A lot of people are really good talkers, but their um, actions don't match what they spill out of of their mouth. And they sound so good and you want to believe it so bad, but... When it comes down to the nitty gritty, they just don't live up to what their promises are or who they say they are. And like you said, with the Internet, it's so much easier now to do a background search on somebody. Look at the public records, see if there's any types of lawsuits going on against them. Uh, The lawsuits might give them give you some insight. Um, If you have, uh, you can even hire a private investigator and uh, you can do different types of business checks and see who they are, where they live and um, what kind of of people that they associate with. Um, And especially if you don't know the person, um, it's really important that you do that unfortunately. No, I completely agree. And I feel like um, that's like invaluable advice. And I think one of the things is I think even before you decide to go into business with someone is like almost do your own review of your perception of their character. Do their words, thoughts, and actions line up? Do they have the same style and perception? And also often when you're going in business, you want someone to maybe compliment, like one person has certain superpowers and the other one, but you're, you need to have a way that you can communicate effectively and know that you're on path before you even start the idea of the contract, the background check. So there's almost like little tests you can give people to see, are they on time? Do they follow through? And I know that that's just part of it in, in all encompassing everything else you've just said, the contract, the background check, looking to see if they've had judgments, hiring a private investigator, So do you think we've covered a lot of it or what do you think? Well, you could also, sorry, you could ask for um, references too. Yes. Or in some cases, business references, right? Yes. If if you've known the person for a long time, you might feel awkward about asking them for a business reference, but ask, um, ask anyway, because a lot of money could be on the line and friendships, friendship and business is business. So, uh, and don't take their references, um, 
what I'm trying to say is they might give you a reference, but it might not be accurate because they might have their buddy down the street um, say that there's somebody else. So when they give yes. you a reference yes. and you find out who they work for, you want to make sure that you just don't call that phone number, but you call the company and verify that that person works for the company and ask to speak to that person in a roundabout way without necessarily getting the same phone number uh, that your um, potential business partner has given you. Uh, that's very important. Yes. Yeah, there's so, so many times where people give references and they aren't who they say they are. And I think the other thing to do is um, really trust your gut. On top of mm -hmm. doing these linear things, if your stomach's feeling a certain way or you're getting an intuitive hit that this person just doesn't feel right, listen to it. Pay attention. We have multi-sensory ways on top of the linear getting the data where mm -hmm. we just can look back. I think maybe now we can jump in to times when people have come to you, some different scenarios where they looked back and maybe they had done most of these things, but one thing didn't happen. Or um, what are your thoughts on just giving some examples of some of the most common things people say, oh, whoa, yeah, I didn't do that. Or I didn't listen to my inner voice. Um, do you have any examples that come to mind where, where said, somebody didn't listen to their intuition? Correct. And then they share that with you. They're your client. And I know that you have attorney client privilege. So I'm just asking for generalizations of like some of the most common things when someone finally does come to see you and they've been through a fraud and then they're looking back, do they end up telling you, oh, this is what I missed or the most common of these steps that maybe they do miss? You know, sometimes they don't really tell me that, oh, I missed this or they don't go into too much of their intuition. Um, like they, they've missed something, but there's an obvious misstep sometimes. Um, let's see. So there was a, a situation where I had a client who went into business with a, a real estate company and her, she didn't, find the real estate company. I think it was a friend of her ex-husband's and they were married at the time. And when it came time to pay out, uh, they, there was certain things in the contract and a lot of times people don't read the contracts. Right. Um, various provisions and uh, various um, fees that they were taking that if you didn't really look closely on the contract, you would miss it. And so her investment wasn't as quite as big as she originally expected as a result of a lot of those fees and costs, which they deducted. 
So um, was there any repercussion in that or not really? Um, well, we still sued and uh, she ended up with a settlement. We settled oh, the case. That's great. Yeah, but it's not as much as she would have liked, but, but you know, there was still, um, it came out with a happy ending. Uh, there was another guy that I think it was, I want to say it was alone. And so this is, like I said, this is not necessarily intuition, but I've seen this happen multiple times. And this is a common scheme that happens. So. By the way, I actually, when I meant missteps, I didn't mean, I meant in everything we covered, the contract, background check, checking for judgments, hiring a private investigator, business references, and listening to your gut. I'm just, those are some key outlines of what you and I just discussed on how not to be defrauded and how to set yourself up for a business win. So then we're doing some deep dives in specific situations that you think are really unique that maybe someone came to you, got your help, but the step Mm -hmm. they missed or then ways you solved it. Right. Okay. So this, this is another situation where, um, this gentleman, uh, came to me he had um, a business dealing with his nephew. And he had loaned his nephew some money. And his nephew was going to, supposed to pay him back. And it was a significant amount of money. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, the problem in the first situation he uh, paid it all back, but he did it like a gradual, first it was $50,000. And then he said, okay, well, I paid you back. Um, can I borrow another hundred? Can I, he stepped it up and said, can I borrow $100,000? And it was for an investment deal. And he said, oh, as soon as this investment deal closes, it's going to be an escrow, then I'll pay you back. Hmm. And he escalated it. Um. And he did that maybe three times, but the problem is they didn't have the, uh, they did, really didn't put it in writing. And, and well, in the end, they had one in writing, but not for all of them. Wow. And so, if they, didn't speci- they didn't specify the scope. They didn't specify when the, the payment would be due. They didn't specify interest that would accrue. They didn't um, specify what would happen if there was a default in the agreement. Um, There was a lot of provisions that were missing. And uh, what ended up happening was the nephew pretty much scammed the uncle as hundreds of thousands of dollars and then uh, put it, took all his money out of the United States and put it on in a property in um, out of the country. Wow! And um, he came to me, um, and I was able to work out a settlement with the nephew. The nephew. Okay. But unfortunately, um, then the nephew defaulted on the agreement, 
And unfortunately, um, my client didn't want to pursue it because of the family dynamics. Um, but that was a case where if the contract was a little bit stronger, it would have been a lot easier for him to actually um, keep tabs of the money and, and sue his nephew. Um, I had a similar situation where a, a client came to me and the, this guy was um, dealing with watches. And during the COVID, there was a big surge on people trading watches. Oh, interesting. I don't know if you know about that. Um, mm -hmm. Like you could not find a Rolex in a store. Oh, wow. Can you hold on one second? Sure. Thank you. We're just checking on some tech stuff. So you were about to give another example. All right. So in this situation, I was um, referred by a friend um, who uh, gave me a, a lead on a client. And I talked to this client, a potential client, I should say. Um, and I was talking about that uh, he was dealing with, he was trading watches. And this is a, um, a guy that he had known for a while. Um, it was uh, the person that he was uh, dealing with. He was within the same community that he belonged with. He knew uh, the family. The family was a wealthy family. Um, the guy was a trust fund kid and, uh, lived in a big house in Beverly Hills. Okay. So he, my potential client felt like he had, um, means to, he could trust them. That's a mistake. So, um, <clears throat> he didn't actually do a written agreement with him. And uh, he ended up lending him money in exchange for, uh, or I think part of it was money and part of it was um, watches that he, that this guy was going to buy watch various watches and then trade the watches and, and pay him back the money. And it escalated similar to the other situation where the first deal went through and then he said, give me a little bit more money and then I can buy another watch and sell that watch. And then I can give you back the money. But he, he said, Oh, I ran into some problems and I couldn't, I don't know, whatever happened. Um, I need more money. And then I promise you, I'll get you the, the, uh, the balance of your money. Once I sell, buy these watches and sell them. Hmm. What eventually happened was uh, he gave him all his money, all his life savings. Was, oh, my God. Um, it was probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. He was in his 30s, starting out young with a wife and uh, a young child. Um, and he did. Um, he was trying to collect on the funds that he gave his so-called friend, his so-called friend wouldn't take his phone calls anymore. 
and he didn't know what to do, so he reached out. The problem that we had in this type of situation is he didn't put everything down in writing. So there's something called... Um, can, I, can I just be a little bit cheeky and funny here? Yeah. When you're saying this, this is what this reminds me of. I just looked this up. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, so that's from Popeye. Yeah. And when I'm hearing all these um, situations, it's like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, and, and by the way, in the moment, and I know because I've been defrauded, the the person is usually so convincing and they mm-hmm. build trust in other ways. So whether mm-hmm. it's the big home or the alleged net worth or mm-hmm. the way they have charisma, there's certain mm-hmm. characteristics where then you kind of get into the swindle where mm-hmm. you're bypassing those other steps that we talked about at the beginning of the show. And I, when you were saying this about this relative and like not calling you back. And by the way, I was trying to be the, one of the ways I've rocked my own betrayal and mine was 420,000 plus attorney's fees and my life being threatened is I can use humor. I think yes. sense of humor saves the day and then making sure on the earth ride that we're on, we look at it as an experience that we don't have to do again. That's why I'm, so grateful. Like when I'm even hearing this, I'm also having a lot of empathy for the people that you just mentioned. You know, these sound like, you know, for anyone that's ever had fraud that's listening, whether it's been with a business partner or someone personal, it really stings because we want to believe that people are good. That's like the innate thing that I like to believe that people are good. So it's just, when I heard this where the calls were coming and then he's not answering the call, I just immediately thought of Popeye and the wimpy that I'll gladly pay you on Tuesday. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. That's so funny. That's the right on point. Um, But the, the problem was, is that that particular situation was very difficult to collect. And, uh, and file suit on because there was a wasn't there wasn't a contract and if it's over seventy five thousand dollars it really needs to be in writing. Um, and there there was some text, but it wasn't enough to show that there was an agreement and when things were supposed to be repaid and how much was supposed to be repaid. Uh, there wasn't enough there. When I did a little bit of background research for my potential client to find out the collectability of it, he didn't own the home that he was living in, in, in Beverly Hills. It was rented. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was making any money, it might've been from a family trust, but that is limited. Um, and who knows how much it was, he was actually, um, receiving from his family, his car, he was driving, I don't know, one of those big, those nice sports cars, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Um, it was leased. He didn't own it. Uh, so all these things that he portrayed that he was the big man in town, it was all... Uh, smoke and mirrors. Smoke, smoke, exactly. Smoke and mirrors. Uh, so don't believe somebody who has a big house 
that they have a lot of money. You don't know how much debt they have and you don't know how much if they actually own it or lease it. Same thing with their cars. Uh, a lot of people lease their cars. A lot of people rent their homes. And a lot of people are in a lot of debt that they just don't talk about. So you just never know. And apparently this guy had been doing this to a number of other people. And I think that's how he supported his lifestyle. Well, that's what I was just, I want to make note. I've, I've actually feel that in my own unique experience, and then also the one that I just, I dodged that uh, situation with the film person in the film industry. I really think that there are, unfortunately, right now on earth, a lot of people that actually make their living based on lies. Mm-hmm. It's way more common. I did a blog post in 2020 called The Era of the Sociopath. And I literally linked probably about 10 different shows with different things, different ways that people have narcissism or sociopathy, you know, helping people to not fall for the lie. I've been having Donna Anderson on this, this series who got defrauded in a love fraud scam. I, you know, I have actually in the last month without giving too much details, just in privacy to the individual that's confided in me, someone that's going through a huge loss of money. That's like multi-layered Ponzi scheme. And Mm -hmm. there I've been, because they know that I've been through something so traumatic they felt, you know, a lot of times people have shame right. when they're going through a financial betrayal. It's almost like you can't believe that you got sucker punched like this. And I find from my own um, situation, you find out that it's more common than not. Like I found out that someone I know was subject to a real estate Ponzi scheme of a half million. Another um, one of my friends had more of a personal betrayal of 750000 and then once once you actually decide that you're going to, if you are unfortunately someone that's ever had a personal or business fraud, once you start just talking with a couple people, you find out, unfortunately, that this happens more often than not. Right. And so I think one of the most important things to do is the minute, one, we want to prevent the fraud to begin with, which we outlined the steps of contract, background check, looking to see if they have judgments, hiring a private eye, business references, but deep dive on the business references, then your intuition. But if this does happen to you, I would say, number one, get an incredible attorney, talk to you know someone that might help you to lean into any kind of guidance, whether it's a coach, whether it's a therapist, and then have mm-hmm. a small group of confidants that you do confide in. Because I think I've had people, just so you know, from the psychiatry end, I've had people that have actually killed themselves over business frauds of large amounts, where I'm like the doctor of the family after someone invested, you know, wrong or their business partner screwed them over. So this is really serious, not only fiscal health, but mental health. It's very serious when these types of uh, frauds happen in any way. Right. Like what you mentioned, there is a lot of shame involved and self-doubt and questioning yourself about everything when that happens. Um, And once you reveal it to somebody else, you'll realize that you're not alone. 
several people go through it, but not everyone wants to admit that they are so vulnerable that they let that happen to them. Well, you know, but um, I have to say something. It's, it's unfortunate, uh, but people are usually very closed off. Nobody wants to talk about their finances. Yes. Public. And what I was going to yeah, say too. Like a is, um, taboo subject for the most part. Yes. Or people will twist it to make it sound like everything's going great. Right. But nobody tells you about when things aren't going great. Yeah. So um, can you hear me? Just realize that if you've been defrauded, you're not alone. And it happens more often than you think. Exactly. And it was really interesting when I was deciding who would be my attorney to handle my situation. One of the attorneys actually shared his own almost quarter million fraud he almost went through, even though he's a big shot attorney and has won tons of lawsuits. So I think one of the things to remember is um, it's kind of a myth busting. Donna Anderson and I talked about it as to who the fraudsters usually target. They usually target very successful people that have done really well in business. So it's it's really, there's a lot of myth busting as to who gets defrauded. There are some, you know, obviously pink flags and red flags to look out for that we talked about when words, thoughts, and actions aren't matching up and all the protections. But you'd be surprised how many people of all different backgrounds, all different ages go through this. Would you agree, Britt? I would agree to that. Definitely. Uh, it's, as I was mentioning, it's more common than you think. And then you just hit your head and you're like, why didn't I, you're looking back, everything's hindsight 2020, where you say to yourself, okay, that was a red flag. Why didn't I see that? But the more people that are involved that you know, it's harder sometimes to see that there's a problem. Uh, and this is what I guess fraudsters sometimes do is they get one person to get on board and then everybody else falls in line. They get the- I, I, I love that you said that. So this is a really interesting situation. So in one of the situations that I just heard recently, um, you know, there can be times when doctors are targeted, professional athletes are. And if someone's a high level fraudster that's already done time, has committed wire fraud or done things, they're such a professional at this. What they try to do is they strike when it's hot. So they try to get everyone in on the deal and really mm-hmm. get the almost like the wire transfers right away. In my particular situation, my um, person that defrauded me, I'm, I'm not really into saying their name. I'll, I'll link something and you can hit another link and find out who they are. Um, I ended up helping multiple victims from this person to not get further defrauded. And the chameleons, usually there's times when there's like the same story and they kind of bamboozle a group of people at once, like maybe in like a very complex Ponzi scheme. But then if this person's kind of usually targeting just individuals, they usually just are chameleons to whatever your life story is, whether it's a business or whether it's personal. So Mm -hmm. they're really good at learning what your interests are, what your empathy is. And a lot of times they've done background checks on you. 
So I believe the re- one of the reasons why I was a major hit for fraud is that not, not only was I just new to being a public figure on social media and we were going to do a show together and do professional work, but I had just, a, I had just sold a home the year before. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there's a new, I'd love for you to comment on this. Cause I don't think I've ever had this discussion with you. When no. I had loaned this person a certain amount of money, they said, I know you have more money. Cause they kept asking me for more money. And I said, no, I'm tapped out. And one of the other women that I ended up warning that did end up giving this individual 180,000, she too had also sold a home recently. So I we believe, we believe that there had been like a financial background check on us uh-huh. to see what our assets are so that they could just almost like run you dry, suck it all out of you. So you have no money and no ability to even fight back. One of like some of the women don't didn't have enough money to actually sue them to win a judgment. So even though I know my dollar amounts a lot of money that I lost, and you know, hopefully I'll be able to recover that because I do have a judgment at some point or partially or you know, make it in other ways. A lot of people, when they're defrauded, if it's an individual or a smaller business entity. Oftentimes mm-hmm. they, they run you all the way to the point where you don't even have the money to get an attorney. Can you comment on some of these um, statements I just made and see if it, there's any examples that you that resonate? Well, um, yeah, sometimes I agree. You get so caught up with everybody and they strike when the iron's hot that uh, – they can find out information about you, um, whether it's an investigator that they hire or just public records. Public records will tell when people sell property and how much it was sold for and what the value of the mortgages and all the liens on the, the, the property was. So you can always do property searches on the Internet. Um, sometimes you have to pay for it. Sometimes you don't. But you can do property searches to find out what people own. Uh, what I didn't mention before is I think that if you're going to go into a business venture with somebody and you're talking about a lot of money or if it's a lot of money for you, because what could be a lot of money for one person may not be a lot of money for somebody else. Um, but definitely if you're dealing with a situation where it's over 50,000, I would say over $50,000. It might be a good idea to get a credit report on the person if you're dealing with an individual. If you're dealing with a corporation, you might want to check the information about, do a Dun & Bradstreet report on the corporation, find out when they were incorporated, find out who the individuals are behind the incorporation. When was it incorporated? Uh, possibly ask more questions. Well, you just formed this corporation. What kind of assets do you have? Ask for their profit and loss statements. Um, ask for their possibly even tax returns because you want something that they filed with somebody, um, possibly some entity, if you will, whether it's the federal government or um, the secretary of state that they cannot um, 
the information that they're providing, they're signing under penalty of perjury that it's correct. Yes. You're, you could also be in situations where uh, people create corporations just to do whatever business scheme that they're trying to do. Okay. The ding, 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 ding. Okay. So without going into all the specifics of mine, this, this individual that defrauded me had multiple um, different companies, different entities that I didn't know about because I just mm-hmm. blindly, I, I made a big mistake of trusting this individual. And once I you know, was pursuing the legal parts, we knew that there was many different entities, even nonprofits. And I had a private eye go to events that really didn't even happen. So they were literally having alleged charity events or alleged um, business events. And I would say one out of every four actually happened. So right. there was so- enough of intermittent kind of smoke and mirrors to make it all look legit. Right. And so if you're in a situation like that, there's a website called, I think it's called Corporation Wiki or Wiki Corporation. Mm-hmm. And it's a free site. You can sign up for it and you can plug in somebody's name and it will tell you all the different corporations that they're associated with. Wow. Uh, if they're an officer or director of the corporation. Um, and then you might be able to ask your potential business partner, whomever you're going to be dealing with, what are these other organizations you belong to? Now, they might tell you one thing and it might not be true, but you could follow up with it, right? So in in your situation, if you knew about these nonprofit entities, I don't even know if you would have thought twice about it. Oh, he's a public figure and he that he's doing good in the world and he has all these nonprofits. Probably well, wouldn't have been in until you actually saw a flyer that he didn't, that there it was like a cancellation or. or yeah, something. but I have to tell you, this was so strategic on his part that even mm-hmm. after I was defrauded, I was following what the different entities were. And right. there would be an event that looks like it was going to happen. And I had my private eye go and take pictures and it just didn't happen. But they still made it seem as though it did online. And this okay. person actually still, and I'm going to put the link to that at the bottom of the show uh, that you guys can all hit. This person, even during the pandemic, was making themselves look like a hero, helping children, saying that they're trying to raise capital on the quarter million mark on this like heart and soul spiritual magazine. So a lot of times people use their um, good looks, their ex-professional athlete or their celebrity status or their doctor or attorney status to make themselves look fantastic. And they're really a wolf in sheep's clothing. And right. so- Don't believe everything you see on the internet. Yes. Yes. And the other thing too is, is I actually had all my good friends vet him at a humanitarian dinner, including people who are FBI profilers and they liked him. So not every people can get duped no matter, you know, at any stage, even if you put in checks and balances. So I'm actually thinking this right now, Britt. Uh, you know what? That's fine that I said your name, the first name. That's fine. Cause no one knows your last name. Um, I'm actually thinking about this. I feel like people need to start making like normal conversation 
and not having any shame if they're about to do any sort of business and say, well, what's your fiscal health like? Exactly. And like, like a real normal conversation. Like, what are your assets? What do you have to back up? Right. Do you own and that? And just make it like a normal part of conversation. Because if you're about to invest and do work with someone, you need to like lay this all out. So there's no surprises. Exactly. I think that is one of the key strategic moves that you really need to do. And if they get offended, why are you asking me that those type of questions? And the big statement is, don't you trust me? If someone ever raises the, the statement, don't you trust me? Don't trust them. <laughs> well, can I just make, I can't flag. believe you just said that. You and I were on a Zoom meeting and at the end of a meeting, and I won't say any details about it. And the person said, don't you trust me now? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, I don't know you. In fact, no, I don't. And so that was another pink or red flag. And I feel like there's, we're at this place in history now where people are talking more about mental health or showing their whole lives online, TikToks, YouTubes, acting like they're fantastic. But people don't know how to do the deeper day-to-day conversations. They're like, well, what is your physical health? What is going on? People don't even know how to ask each other really how they're doing. You know, it's like almost like surface. So I think the, the asking these questions in this framework, and I'm actually thinking that I think if anyone's going to do a meeting and they don't have, excuse me, do a corporation or do a big business deal, and they know one of, they have a lot of other strengths in business, mm-hmm. but asking these tough questions and how to get the data, I think mm-hmm. you should see someone like yourself for a one to two hour consultation to kind of run it by someone. I think you should get an attorney and front load with a business attorney, get a consultation of all the things that you think should be done. It's kind of like what you said at the beginning, each person should have their own attorney. I feel like it's just part of that should just be another thing. Oh, we're going to do business together. Okay. How serious is this? And how are we associated together? We need to do a fiscal health thing. And then boom, there it is. There should just be a way to talk about this. It's no big deal. It's like standard of care. Exactly. Even if it's family and even when, when it's a friend, because those are the closest, the clo- people that are clo- the closest to you sometimes are the ones that defraud you the most, unfortunately. No, that's and true. You never see it happening until it happens. Is that your experience in the 30 years of all the different things that you've dealt with? Is that kind of more, it's usually someone that you know pretty closely? Um, I've seen enough of it that I could probably say anecdotally that it happens a lot. Now, don't ask me for a research paper on it or anything. No, like no, that. no, no, no. You're like but, me. We're on the front. You're on the front lines of. But and anecdotally, I would say that it does happen with people that you're closest to or you think that you're close with. Right. Um, okay also it happens a lot when people when let's say a father or a mother dies uh, somebody who's the head of the family that brings everybody together that person dies then there could be family relationships that go up in smoke and somebody steals money that's supposed to go to all the different siblings that happens a lot more than you think 
Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we did have um, William Stetson on in July, in uh, January of this year. He's a board certified will and estate trust attorney that covered a lot of this. So I think you're right. So I know that I'm going to want to have you back on to ask other questions, but in this kind of very beginning first show together on the rocking of betrayal and what to do in business. Is there anything else that you wanted to add like, or in summary? Uh, I think we've done a couple of summaries in it, what to do. Is there anything else we didn't hit on this particular show? Well, I'd say in summary is treat, if you're dealing with money, treat the, treat the transaction as a business transaction. Regardless of they're a friend, family member, or somebody you've known a long time, or someone you just met, um, get it in writing and make sure that you spell out the details of each of your responsibilities and what happens when things don't go right. How are you going to get out of it? What is a considered a breach? That's also very important. Um, when I say breach, maybe that might be a too of a technical term, uh, too much of a legal term. But basically, when somebody doesn't keep their promise and things go yes. wrong, what are you going to do, and how is it going to be done? So uh, I can leave you with that. And until next time, thank you so much for coming on, and also. I am very grateful for the time and energy you've put towards listening to my unique situation. And I feel very comfortable referring people to you. And if you're listening to this show and you feel like you need someone with this kind of legal expertise, I'll put my email at the bottom of this and just reach out to me and, you know, let me know and I'll give you the referral. So thank you so much, everyone. And um, remember there are, by the way, we didn't, <laughs> we, we were always about everyone that does things wrong. There are business deals that go really right. And there are people that do have great partnerships, but I just think it's important that we have the checks and balances. So thank you so much for exactly. coming on. Right. And thank you again for having me. Thank you very much, Denise. This has been a, a great treat and pleasure. Thank, thank you. So you. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.